Maybe some of you are walking this campus, and I shared this last year at homecoming, and several came up to me afterwards and, and agreed and said, yes, that happened. Maybe you're walking around campus, and you come to a place, a, a place on campus where you say yes, and many of the guys do this, I'm sure, you say yes, that is the place. That is the place where she broke up with me, right there. <laughs> that is where it happened. I hope you're okay with those painful memories you may be going through this weekend. And I need to let you know that that's still happening to guys today here on ENC's campus. So good and bad times, but through all things, God is faithful. And we want to recognize some award winners. So to the current student body, to our community, we just want to take a few minutes to recognize there are some award recipients for homecoming. They're going to be recognized tonight at a dinner. I'm just going to give a brief, a brief description and just so we can thank them and recognize them. So first, I'm going to ask that the Carol F. Bradley Hall of Fame inductees, if they could come forward at this time, uh, we'd like to recognize you. Everyone come forward up on stage. And their coach, their coach was Dr. Nancy Detweiler, the 1990 women's volleyball team. Their coach is Dr. Detweiler. So, and let's thank the uh, coaching staff. There she is, my favorite. Oh, coach. Oh. So let me tell you who our let me tell you who our guests are today. Uh, the first inductee into the Hall of Fame is the 1990 women's volleyball team. Raise your hand if you are on the volleyball team. The 1990 team won one of the most outstanding records in ENC volleyball history. The team finished the season with an overall record of 40-4 and four, with two losses on a trip to the NAIA National Tournament in Hawaii. Can we congratulate them? The, and what's amazing, what's amazing is that there were only three of them on the team. So that's really... Carl Burgess, class of 1990, ran cross-country for three years, traveling to Wisconsin each year to compete in the national NAIA five-mile run against top Harriers in the country. He placed first in this NAIA district in his senior year. Carl Burgess, let's congratulate him. Brad Mountain, class of 2007. Brad made ENC history on March 21, 2006, when he threw a no-hitter in a home game against Massachusetts Maritime Academy. Mountain's career stats include 24 completed games, 273.2 innings pitched, 304 strikeouts, all the highest in program history. Can we congratulate Mr. Mountain? I'm going to ask our Emerging Leader Awards to join them on the stage if our Emerging Leader Award winners can come at this time, and we'll let us welcome them. Addison Cooper, class of 2004, serves in the dual role of clinical supervisor to social workers pursuing licensure and supervising social worker over one of Koinonia's district offices. Cooper created the Adoption Resource website, Adoption at the Movies, which reviews film through the lens of adoption. Can we please congratulate Adam? <laughs> Melissa Orpond is the assistant planner for the City of Quincy Department of Planning and Community Development. She graduated in 2009. Senator Thomas P. Kennedy honored her with an official state citation in recognition of exemplary community involvement. Melissa states, it was my senior year and the chaplain of the college had the most influence in my life than anyone in the history of my life. Can we please congratulate? 
That may not have been her exact quote, but I'm sure it was something like that. Jason Ross Tubo, class of 2004, purchased a general dentistry practice in 2011 and has since developed a new level of treatment, including the surgical placement of implants, regenerative bone grafting, full mouth reconstruction, rehabilitation, and advanced prosthetics. Please congratulate Jason Ross. And I'm going to ask our alumni award uh, recipients to join us on the stage as well. And as they come, Geraldine Ganhart Perry had a career of church service in roles such as district Nazarene Mission International President, District NMI Treasurer, Secretary of the New England District Advisory Board, Church Secretary, as well as serving on the General Nazarene Missions International Council. Can we please congratulate Mrs. Perry? Stephen Perry, class of 64, married way out of his league. Reverend Perry has pastored several Nazarene churches and has held leadership roles, including district Sunday school chairman on the New England District, general assembly delegate, and assisting on the district ministerial credentials board, the district NMI council, and on the district advisory board. Please congratulate Reverend Stephen Perry. John Lyle, class of 79, served the U.S. as an Air Force officer, retiring as a colonel. He entered federal civil service and is currently the Associate Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Secretary of the Air Force at the Pentagon. Can we please congratulate John Lyle? We recognize at the dinner tonight, you're going to be recognized and honored in a greater detail. We thank you for coming in early and taking a few minutes for the current student body to see all that God has done in and through your life over the years. It's a great inspiration to them, so thank you for making time for us. Can you thank them one more time? Doc D and Janet uh, Ranch from Calhoun will be hopefully playing volleyball this weekend. I'm sure. Yes, they will. So if you want to see Doc D spike it, uh, you don't want to you don't want to miss it. So thank you for also investing in the lives of the students those years ago. Oh, Doc D is going to play basketball. She's just informed me. Well, I also want to go ahead and introduce our chapel speaker for the morning, and then we'll continue to worship through song. Uh, but many of you know our friend. Uh, he's been a professor, a friend, colleague, church member, just one of the most Incredible men of God I've ever met. Just a humble, beautiful spirit. And I'm honored to say that our chapel speaker for the morning is Dr. Lowell Hall. (laughs) Dr. Hall graduated from ENC in 1959 with a BS in chemistry. He then gained his MA and PhD in physical chemistry from the John Hopkins University. Dr. Hall started at Eastern Nazarene College in 1967, where he has taught physical chemistry as well as general chemistry and advanced inorganic chemistry, in addition to analytical lab. He has written four books on chemistry, published 120 peer-reviewed articles, many with student co-authors, 
written invited chapters in 15 books and given over 50 invited lectures during his career. Dr. Ahal has gained international recognition as the creator of Malcon computer software that has been called revolutionary for its impact upon pharmaceutical and other industries. In 2013, Dr. Hall was awarded emeritus status and continues to do research at ENC. He lives with his wife, Dorlin Quincy, has two grown children and two grandchildren. Can we please welcome Dr. Lowell Hall? Will you please stand as we continue to worship together? Our associate chaplain, Jenny Williams, will lead us in prayer, and then we will worship this song. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we thank you for the ability to gather together as a community um, that seeks to love and worship you. And Lord, we thank you for those that have gone before us, Lord, for their um, stories of faithfulness, for the ways that they've sought to um, love you with their lives, for the example that they lay before us. God, we pray for the current students at ENC. Lord, we ask that you um, continue to be faithful to them during their journey as well, Lord, as we're in the middle of the semester and there's busyness and exams. God, we thank you for this moment to be able to just celebrate and recognize your goodness in our lives. Lord, be with us um, this day, this weekend, in our worship together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Yes, alumni, I wear a suit for every chapel. Yes, I do. Um, um, students, I have uh, chapel may just go a little long today because it's homecoming chapel. So don't worry, the shuttles will wait. You will not miss the shuttle over to your class. And we just want to make sure we give Dr. Hall our full attention and respect. Can we welcome one more time Dr. Lowell Hall? Got my Kleenex box here to prop open my notes, not to cry. Maybe you will. But I am uh, so glad to be here, especially with all you students. You know, I'm retired from teaching, but you students are my favorite people. Been doing this for 50 years. There's no better group than students. Now, you alumni, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> now, uh, even after Corey's wonderful introduction, I really imagine, Corey, that most students don't know who I really am. So to get that information, I confess, I Googled my name. <laughs> and here's who I really am. There it is. Lowell Hall at Harvard. And you can see it's dedicated to my name in 1959, the year I graduated from ENC. Now, my wife is sitting over here. You can ask her after chapel. I'm, she'll say I'm not really water damaged, really not. But she might say that I'm sometimes unoccupied or preoccupied, maybe not for 20 years at a time. Now that I've mentioned my wife, uh, some of you don't know that we had the joy and privilege of working together over in Schrader Hall for 34 years. And, uh, you know, 54 years married, 34 years over there. It was really wonderful. I thought you really ought to see what it's like to work, was like for me to work with my wife. Wait for it. Yeah. 
that's fun. The problem is, Prof. Burt would never let me go into the lab wearing those clothes, so what can I say? Well, I am so glad you're here, and this is the title of my talk. Where are we here? Um, Do You Know the Way? Which is taken from the title of the song on the first slide there, uh, Do You Know the Way to San Jose? Now, I'd like to read just a few of the words. You get an idea where we're going with this talk today. Do you know the way to San Jose? I may go wrong and lose my way. I'm going to find some peace of mind. Weeks turn into years, how quick they pass. And all the stars that never were are parking cars and pumping gas. Now, as you can see, it's not a Christian song. This song laments that some people make very poor choices and never develop into the person they really could be. Even the heart of the unbeliever beats with the desire for transformation, for becoming the best person that we can become and not settling for the easy downward path. So my question for you today to think about is who are you and who do you think you will become? And at first glance, I'm sure some of you say, well, that's a pretty question. I know who I am. But I want us to think a little bit about the signals that come from our culture. And maybe it's something like these street signs. They not only don't tell us the right way to go, but they give us confusing signals. So to to focus our thinking today on what I want to talk about, I want to tell you a story. And it's all focused around this idea of, do you know the way? And this is a story about a college student named Smedley. Now, when Smedley graduated from college, he had lots of friends. And he also had a small house on the edge of town, which had been loaned to him by his rich uncle. Pretty good deal, huh? So Smedley could get established in his first job. And every Saturday, five or six of his college buddies would come over to cheer for their favorite NCAA college team. And they did that in his man cave. There it is. Now, three of the guys in this group had jobs in town. One was in medical school, two were in graduate school. But in the first year after graduation, two of them got married. And what do you know, they just didn't come over very much anymore. And the medical student in the second year, he just didn't have time. Three of the guys got jobs, better jobs out of town, and they moved away. And now in the third year, in the fall, Smedley was usually all alone there in his man cave. And then the doorbell rang. Smedley dropped his coat, jumped over the couch, flung the door open. The well-dressed young man was about his age, walked briskly into the room, and Smedley was speechless. This was not one of his college buddies. Seemed sort of familiar, but he really didn't recognize him. The man, the visitor, walked around the room, and he walked over to a very large drawing up on the wall. Smedley blurted out, yeah, that, that was my senior project in my business major, city planning. The visitor pointed and spoke softly. The drawing isn't actually finished, and the building was never started. Smedley was speechless again. 
The visitor continued walking around the room and he stopped to admire a trophy with its prominent gold-plated tennis racket. Yeah, said Smedley. That was my sophomore year. I was all conference champ. The visitor with a faraway look in his eyes turned and spoke, spoke to Smedley. But that was the last trophy. Smedley said, well, you know, I, I, well, I, I got busy. The visitor walked past Smedley and sat down at the piano. I promise not to do that. He sat down at the piano and he played a simple tune. Smedley listened intently. The tune seemed familiar. The visitor turned and spoke softly. I heard someone finish that song and, and then sold it. Before Smedley could respond, the visitor stood up. Well, I've got to be going now, he said. I'm meeting Brenda for lunch with the mayor and his assistant. Smedley blurted out, Brenda? You mean Brenda? He said, yes, we, we were friends in college. Um, and we dated a little bit. But then in that first year after graduation in the summer, we met at the wedding of a mutual friend. And we started talking and remembering our college days. And then we started dating. And a year later, we were married. And now we have two children. Joey and little Tori, Smedley could not contain himself anymore. How do you know all this stuff about, about me and, and, and Brenda? Who are you? The visitor turned with a soft expression on his face, but sadness in his eyes. Smedley, he said, I am the man you could have been. And that's the story that we'd like to look at today. How do you get to be the person that you really could be? This is a fictional story, but you probably know, some of you, that it's really also all too often true. So how do you get to be the best person that you can become? Do you know the way? Now, becoming your best person is always difficult. Anything that we want to attain that's good in life is difficult. But I'd like to remind you of some ENC alumni coming before us who've shown us this way, because they've adopted it. And just a little while ago, we had quite a group up here. It's quite impressive, the things that they have done with their lives. And I'd like to tell you about many ENC alumni. It's inspiration for you. But time only permits a couple. So. First of all, I'd like to tell you about Fred Wenger, happens to be here, sitting down here in the middle of the auditorium. In Fred's own words, I'd like to read this, dad and mother did not get along. Dad, a teenage immigrant from Germany, was an everyday drinker. When tensions arose between him and mother, he would go out and get drunk. She would then pack his bags and make him live, leave. He would stay drunk for several weeks. I did not understand him, and I was afraid of him. Now, with that background, going to college seemed like an impossibility. As Fred put it, after all, none in my family had ever graduated from high school, let alone considered college. Now, although Fred hadn't always attend church regularly, when he did, his Nazarene pastor began to tell him about how he might find work and come to ENC. So he enrolled in ENC, and like a lot of you, without very much money. In Fred's words, in looking for work, I found scrubbing the kitchen floors of two sisters in Mattapan, 
bagging groceries at Supreme Market. And I was hired to work in the ENC kitchen and work long hours. Any, anybody want to testify to that? Yes. Now, when Fred graduated, he had felt a call to preach. So he married B. Wyckoff, and they went to Nazarene Theological Seminary. And later, God opened a very special door to the state of Kansas chaplaincy, where Fred became chaplain of the state hospital and chair of the task force on sexuality. Now, I tell you this story for two reasons. First, because of all the great difficulties that Fred overcame and nonetheless let God lead him to become the kind of person he's become. But also what's happened in recent years. Fred and B began to remember their ENC experiences and all the difference it had made to them. And they wanted to do something meaningful for ENC students. Now, Fred was the president uh, of his senior class in 1957. So he challenged his class to increase their endowed scholarship fund and raise it to a total of $100,000. And not satisfied with that, they they decided to start a second scholarship, which now stands at $22,000. They received an award uh, last year at homecoming. Now, I know... Some of you here this morning are actually the recipients of class of 1957 scholarships. And who knows what you will make of that opportunity when you follow the way. Now, the second person I'd like to talk to you about this morning is William Gidea. He's a physician's assistant, and the American Academy of Physicians Assistants gave him the Humanitarian of the Year Award, and we have a video clip that Keenan is going to show you. I think William uh, is unique in that he really, truly started uh, with nothing. At the time, my homeland was uh, going through a, a civil war. I'd, I'd watched many of my high school classmates being killed on the street. He came uh, to this country not speaking English and had to learn that and then had to manage all the cultural uh, hurdles uh, in addition to, you know, upgrading himself professionally. I, I watched my mother die of breast cancer at home, and it was rough uh, trying to provide um, medical treatment for her just to have someone to change the dressing because the, the cancer had spread. And as I watched these things happening in my family and also around the, the neighborhood, I told myself that someday I'll, I'll, I'll become a a medical provider and do something uh, beneficial for mankind. He is a, a, a very passionate in what he does. You know, he's very intense, and uh, and he brings a, a, a dimension that I have hardly seen. We've been uh, to Nicaragua, uh, been to Guam, and uh, to uh, Guatemala. For me, it's a humbling, gratifying experience. William walked into a room one morning, I'm passing by, and there was a, a woman, an older woman in the bed who had, we had done surgery on, and she about jumped out of the bed trying to hug him for what he had done. And just to know that that mother was going to be around for many more years, uh, that, that was an exceptional experience. You know? Otherwise, she would have died. And if you were to see these tears rolling down her cheeks as she expresses her gratitude for a life that has been given back to her, I've dedicated myself to patient care, to the hospital, 
And I, I just want to thank my wife and my children from the bottom of my heart for putting up with me and for uh, allowing me to uh, have this time to give to other people. In many ways, he's always, uh, he's always trying to prove something to himself. Uh, so despite all, the, all of his accomplishments, I don't think he's done yet. I had the privilege of having William as one of my students, and uh, you can see how God can work in your life in miraculous ways. That's what we're talking about today. But we know that some things do get in your way, and they keep you from the way. Uh, we might call them temptations, obstacles, hindrances. I have a short list here. Maybe you'll identify with some of them, but I have a blank spot on the screen here, a box. Fill in the thing that is the greatest hindrance to you. And think about that this morning and the way God can help you. I have one more to add to the list, instant gratification, which is something like wanting what I want, when I want it, without regard for the consequences. And in a recent book, The Impulse Society, author Paul Roberts puts it this way, from top to bottom, we are becoming a society ruled by impulse by reflexively reaching for quick rewards. And he emphasizes it further by saying, we have become devoted to selfish, short-term impulses of individuals while ignoring the pressing long-term needs. Now I should point out here, Roberts is not a Christian and he is not writing from a Christian perspective, but he speaks from the point of view of somebody who has made him very knowledgeable about American society. And I think we, as Christians, should pay attention to what he's saying. But when I've heard these sorts of things discussed, I've also heard some people say, no, wait a minute. Some of these things seem like rather natural. So what's the problem? I don't need to avoid what seems so natural. Now, I would say this is not really a valid conclusion. And if you think about it, you probably will too. So I'd like to tell you a little story that might help you with this. The story is about two young boys, ages 10 and 11, brothers, who were constantly in trouble. They stole things, they broke things, they lied about it. Anybody out there smiling? Okay. The parents tried everything to get their sons to change, but nothing worked. So in desperation, they asked their church pastor for help. So the pastor had an idea. He asked to see only the 10-year-old boy alone in his office, sitting in a chair across from the pastor's big desk. And the pastor tried to convince the boy of the error of his ways, but the little boy did not respond at all. So then the pastor thought, well, maybe a theological approach would work better. So he said to the boy, where is God? The little boy shifted nervously in his chair, but didn't say anything. So he looked a little more stern, raised his voice a little bit. Tell me, where is God? Still no response. The pastor became very frustrated, and he jumped up and he almost yelled, Tell me, where is God? At this, the little boy jumped off his chair, ran through the door, out of the church. He ran as fast as he could down the street, into his house, up to the second floor where his brother was waiting, and he stammered out out of breath, we're really in trouble. 
God is missing and they think we did it. <laughs> now, let's be honest about the, a lot of mirrors around here. When you look yourself in the mirror, have you ever once in a while said, my logic really isn't much better than that 10-year-old? So let me have you look at it another way. What could be more natural than gravity? And I'd like to use this as an illustration for you to think about this. Picture yourself partway up a hill, and life is like that. You're not at the bottom. You're not at the top. But to get where you want to be is work. It takes an effort to get there like anything worthwhile in life. Now, think about yourself making your way in life, and you put your foot out. What happens? That gravity naturally takes its way. Then you naturally go downhill away from your goal. You don't naturally go uphill towards your goal. So what happens is we have in our lives these opposing forces that we have to deal with. This natural tendency to go away from what God can do in our lives. So now to think about this, I want you to, to consider something to, to deal with this question in a very unexpected way. I want you to consider God's creation. Here you see the, the Milky Way. That splash of stars you can see if you're lucky enough on a really clear night. And 100 years ago, we understood that this was the only galaxy in the universe. You will remember the name Andromeda, a very famous movie, had that in its title. If you look up in the night sky, it's just a point of light. Here it's magnified a little bit. Just a point of light, right? But 100 years ago, Edwin Hubble and other astronomers using very powerful telescopes showed us that in fact, Andromeda is a huge galaxy, has at least 100 billion stars. And over the next decades, we came to discover that the universe is enormous, with perhaps 100 billion galaxies. And they come in all colors, sizes, and shapes. I wish we could spend a half hour looking at the NASA photographs. I hope you go online to look at this. But here's one of three I'll show you. They're all different. A spiral galaxy, one that's red and very, very different looking. And this is my favorite, the cartwheel galaxy. So now we know that the universe is unbelievably large. Now I want to shift the focus. I want to go in a different direction from the unbelievably large to the unbelievably small. You know from your school days that everything we come in contact with is made up of tiny little objects which are invisible to the human eye. We call them atoms and molecules. They're in the world all around us, but they are also in our bodies right now, supporting all our life processes. So what I'd like to do is show you a few of my favorite things. Now, some of you know you like caffeine in various ways, but most of you probably don't know what that thing is over on the left, theobromine. But I'm telling you, virtually everybody in this audience is one of your favorites. It's found in chocolate. And of course, if you take chocolate and caffeine and these funny looking things, sugars, then you have a lot of your favorite things. Now, another way to look at these molecules that's important in our bodies are called neurotransmitters. Uh, by the way, you do get credit for this. You just have to apply to the dean's office. But there's no quiz, OK? Um, 
These neurotransmitters are small molecules which are chemical messengers, like adrenaline, I'm sure you've heard of, sometimes called the fight or flight hormone. One part of the body sends a message to another part of the body, get ready for something. Uh, another example here of the many, many is called dopamine, which is very important for proper functioning uh, in our brains. The last example I'll show you is this really complex diagram. It's not intended that you can read anything on there, but just take my word for it. There are lots of molecule names on there. Now, my point in showing this is not that you should memorize it or actually even be very impressed by it, but to realize that as big and complicated as that is, that's only a tiny part of what molecules are doing in our bodies. So when we come to the end of this and think about this little short tour of God's universe, I cannot help but seeing both the beauty and the power of God as an inspiration to me personally, maybe to you also. However, you all also know the undeniable fact. Our world is scarred by the behavior of sinful human beings. So I ask, and I think you've asked this question of yourself many times, does that creator also have a remedy? The answer is a resounding yes. And I think John Wesley had a very good way to say this. Think of that power to make a universe. That's the power that God has to make you a Christian. The God who creates everything that ever was and everything, anything that ever will be, only God is capable of making you the very best person you can become. But how, you ask, what is the plan? Well, most of you have been to Sunday school, you've been to church, you've heard sermons from various parts of the Bible, so there's a lot of places to choose from. One of my favorites is... Uh, Romans chapter 12. I'm only going to look briefly at verse 2. May I suggest that you take some time this weekend to sit down quietly, carefully, and prayerfully read through that whole chapter. You'll find it very useful in your life. So when, what we see here is that we do not often recognize the squeezing effects of our culture, those conflicting signs I showed there at the beginning. It change our thinking and our behavior, and it's also natural, we just accept it. It's subconsciously accepted. That is why it is one of the biggest barriers to you becoming the very best person you can become. Now, the actual plan is very straightforward. The Apostle Paul says, let God remold your minds, transform the way you think to overcome and defeat the effects of the world around us. I'll have more to say about that in just a moment. And the actual plan then turns out in the rest of the verse, what I've been calling the way, Apostle Paul here calls the goal of true maturity. And in all of this, transformation of our minds is the key. Um, what does that really mean? Who is that person that you are? And who is that person that you can become? Let me suggest perhaps something you haven't put it this way before. You are what you think. Our behavior, our attitudes, our whole approach to life, they all arise from how we think and what we think. And that's what the writer of Proverbs had in mind here. 
So everything that you see, everything that you read, everything that you watch influences that. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans 12. So to transform to the best person you can become, you ask God to transform the way you think. Now, what might this transformation look like? Another word for that is metamorphosis. And I'll give you a really good example, a visual example. The transformation of carbon from decayed plants and trees deep in the earth under pressure and heat turns them into diamonds. Can you imagine that? A mass of ugly, decayed stuff turned into beautiful, strong diamonds. To give you a visual image of that, you can carry this away in your mind. We, we carry images rather well. And all sizes and shapes of diamonds. I didn't even know that myself until I was looking this kind of material up. And you know, when I saw that, it reminds me very much of the human race. All colors, sizes, and shapes. And that's, my friends, how I want you to see the transformation that God offers to his children, to you and to me. Before you are transformed by the power and grace of God, believe me, you cannot begin to imagine what your life will be like after God's transformation. Like the transformation into diamonds. The God of the unimaginable universe will transform your life in ways you cannot imagine. And now as we pull this to a close, I have a little exercise for you students. I guess every, anybody here can participate. Quietly and reverently, I want you to look to your left, look to your right. Who do you see? No, 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 not the person sitting there now, the person out there in the future, and you, who will you be? And this morning we've emphasized alumni, so I have a list of possibilities here. It's a very short list compared to all the possibilities we might consider. So as you look down this list, maybe there's something there in the back of your mind you're saying, maybe God can take me there. Now, as you read this list, I can imagine some of you are saying, I could never do any of those. I am just an ordinary person. But let me tell you the way C.S. Lewis looks at this. He said, you have never seen an ordinary person because of the transforming powers that God has, what God can do. A dramatic change like metamorphosis to become the best person you can become. And my prayer is that each of us will ask God to transform our minds and in the process change our priorities. That's a big problem we have. What are you going to do in 10 minutes? What are you going to do in an hour? What are you going to do tomorrow? What are your priorities? And with priorities changed, and with, we're asking God to transform our minds, maybe we're like people under construction. And if we are, then we need the support and encouragement of each one of you. Have patience 
with each other as God works his transformation in your life. Can you imagine? Some people say, I'm a dreamer. Well, maybe I am. But I'm not the only one. So we invite you to join in the transforming power and love of God. Praise God for all the Lord.